This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Oncology Knowledge into Practice podcast, where we discuss game-changing topics in clinical oncology with leading experts in the field. In this series, we are considering best practice in the management of cancers of the thyroid gland. This series is accredited, so if you would like to receive CME credits, be sure to listen via our website at oncology.knowledgeintopractice.com. If you are listening on another platform, you'll find a link in the episode notes. This episode is supported by an educational grant from Eli Lilly, who've had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. I am your host, Daniel Ward, and in today's episode, we will talk about considerations in treatment decision-making for patients with advanced thyroid cancer in which an actionable oncogenic driver has been identified. To answer our questions on this topic, we welcome insight from Dr. Antonio Matrone. Dr. Matrone is an endocrinologist at the Department of Clinical and Experimental Medicine Operative Unit of Endocrinology at the University of Pisa in Pisa, Italy. We will first spend a few minutes providing some background information on this topic. If you are already familiar with this area, please feel free to skip ahead to the interview at the four minutes mark. Recent decades have seen treatment decisions in advanced thyroid cancer become ever more personalized, with advances in technology making comprehensive genetic profiling increasingly accessible and the identification of oncogenic drivers leading to the addition of specific targeted therapies to the therapeutic armamentarium. Non-specific, multikinase inhibitors have been standard first-line systemic treatment for almost a decade. However, uncertain clinical efficacy and toxicity due to off-target activity of these agents limited their applicability and therapeutic benefit. Novel selective targeted therapies have since been approved and have entered the treatment algorithm as an alternative to multikinase inhibitors, where actionable alterations are identified. Dabrafenib, in combination with trametinib, is approved for BRAF V600E mutant disease, the most common driver mutation seen in thyroid cancers, while silpocatinib and prelcetinib are approved in the presence of RET alterations, seen in 70% of medullary thyroid cancers. In addition, larotrectinib and entrectinib have received regulatory approval for advanced thyroid cancer with Entrac fusion. It is important to note that the approved indications for these agents differ between FDA and EMA labels. While limiting off-target effects due to their specificity, targeted agents have shown promising clinical benefits, thus making screening for mutations that can be treated with drugs an essential step in diagnosis or at progression to inform treatment decision-making. Treatment strategy must, however, be based on more than genetic profiling. Symptoms, tumour burden, lesion characteristics, disease progression, and importantly, patient preference must all be carefully considered when determining the optimum treatment. Indeed, shared decision-making with the patient and the multidisciplinary team enhances patient satisfaction, compliance, and adherence. During the treatment decision-making process, the managing physician should provide the patient with information regarding the treatment options available, as well as their expected benefits and potential risks. Having briefly discussed the background to treatment decision-making in patients with oncogenic drivers, let's discuss how this might be approached in the context of routine clinical practice with our invited expert, Dr. Antonio Matrone, from the University of Pisa in Italy. 
Dr. Matrone, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss this topic. So firstly, how do you approach treatment sequencing for patients with advanced thyroid cancer who harbor an oncogenic driver mutation? And what other information do you require? Uh, as first, I think that uh, uh, can be important to underline that fortunately, the patients with advanced thyroid cancer uh, represent only a small part of all patients with thyroid cancer. And also among the advanced patients, uh, not all of them will experience a systemic uh, treatment during their life. So uh, regarding the specific question about the treatment sequencing, when we approach our patients with advanced thyroid cancer, we need to necessarily evaluate which drug is available in our country. For example, I work in Italy, and that now we have two multi-kinase inhibitors approved and reimbursable from the national health system from the treatment of advanced cases of medullary thyroid carcinoma, and only one for differentiated thyroid carcinoma as first-line treatment. And it is clear that um, somehow the reimbursement by the national health system affects the, the initial choice of the drug. However, fortunately, new target therapies such as highly selective rat inhibitors are now approved and reimbursed as a second-line treatment uh, after the failure of first-line therapy with MKI. Therefore, at now, when a patient needs to start a systemic treatment, we usually start with multi-kinase inhibitor. Uh, but this is real in real-life treatment. However, we should consider that there are several clinical trials opened and enrolled with patients. So if the patient has the right criteria and if the investigators deem it appropriate, the enrollment in a clinical trial is a good option. And regarding the information required about a patient with advanced thyroid cancer before deciding to begin a, a systemic treatment. Well, I'm sure we must be aware that before starting a systemic treatment, the patients really need it. Uh, in our clinical practice, we carefully evaluate several clinical information before starting uh, systemic treatment. And uh, these information are information related to the patient's clinical history and clinical status, the presence, uh, for example, of comorbidities, the drug uh, that the patients are taking, if some of these have potential interaction with systemic treatment, and the ECOG status of the patient, but also information regarding its neoplastic disease. How bigger is the tumor burden? The site of the lesion, if the patient shows a progression only in lesions that could benefit, for example, of local treatment, such as surgeries or radiofrequency ablation and so on, without immediately starting a systemic treatment. And we should evaluate the tumor burden and progression rate of the disease according to RESIS criteria. But also how fast is the progression? Because particularly in cases of large tumor burden, the faster the progression according to RESIS is, uh, the more likely is to initiate a systemic treatment. In other words, we should be very meticulous to evaluate the real need of a systemic treatment. Because we know very well that these treatments are effective against the tumor. But on the other hand, almost all patients will experience adverse events related to the treatment that can have a not negligible impact on their quality of life. Thank you. Guidelines and expert recommendation papers position multi-kinase inhibitors and specific targeted agents as options for systemic therapy for advanced thyroid cancer. How do you determine the optimal treatment sequence for each patient? Okay, um, again, as I told you before, the availability of a specific drug and its reimbursement by the national health system are two main issues in deciding to start with a drug rather than another. But uh, uh, in this case, uh, each country has uh, uh, its rules. However, I uh, cannot forget where we were about 10, 15 years ago. 
because we have no effective therapies for treating patients with advanced thyroid cancer. And we use the conventional chemotherapies with the very poor clinical results. And now, conversely, we can talk about treatment sequencing. So this is a great result, thanks to the research in this field performed on the last year. And back into your question, at least in Italy, when we decided to start a systemic treatment, we used the multikinase inhibitors approved and reimbursed for this type of tumor that are lenvatinib for differentiated thyroid cancer and vandetanib or cabozantinib for medullary thyroid cancer. Moreover, recently also cabozantinib was approved and reimbursed as a second-line treatment in patients uh, with advanced differentiated thyroid cancer after the failure of the first-line treatment. However, as, as I, can, I told you before, uh, very recently, two highly selective drugs have been tested in patients with advanced thyroid cancer, cepercatinib and palsetinib. These two drugs have very similar properties, and they are highly selective inhibitors of the RET gene that, when it carries a point mutation or a fusion, is a key gene in the development of medullary or papillary thyroid carcinoma. Not only, but the mutations of RET gene are often associated with increased aggressiveness of these tumors. So the results of phase 1-2 studies treating with this drug, RET mutated patients with advanced progressive MTC, both previously treated and naive and advanced PTC are really exciting. Therefore, selpercatinib was recently approved by FDA, by the EMEA, and also from the Italian agency, IFA, for the treatment of RET mutated patients with advanced thyroid cancer as second line treatment, while at now pralcetinib is approved only by FDA. But based on this phase one, two trial, uh, and this exciting result of this trial, two phase three studies were built. And both these studies, Libretto 531 for selpercatinib that is ongoing and Accelerate for pralcetinib that will start very soon, will compare the safety and the efficacy of this drug uh, compared with the standard of care, for uh, example, for MTC, Vandetanib Cabozantin. But uh, moreover, beyond the, their efficacy that is very good, these drugs show a very interesting safety profile with adverse events of low grade and so very manageable with those, without those reduction or suspension. However, uh, which is the limitation of this drug, the limitation is that they can be used only in particular subgroup of patients, those with rat mutation. So we need to have also multikinase inhibitors that can be used also in patients without rat mutation due to their uh, antiangiogenetic effect. And at least I want to underline that the choice of one rather than another drug should be mainly tailored on the features of the patients we need to treat. All these drugs, I told you, have a good efficacy against the tumor. Some of them show a faster tumor shrinkage, but for some lesion, for example, those near to vital structures such as trachea, we do not need a faster shrinkage. And some other shows, for example, an increase in QTC interval that should be carefully evaluated during the treatment. So it is often a complete and accurate evaluation of the patients we need to treat that can guide an optimal sequence of treatment with the available drugs. Thank you. Do you employ shared decision-making in the management of your patients with advanced thyroid cancer? And which members of the multidisciplinary team are involved in this process? Thank you for this question, because this is a key point in the management of advanced thyroid cancer patients, as well as, I think, in all patients with advanced tumors. A um, few years ago, the Pope, Francesco, said a very important sentence that no one wins alone. 
And for this reason, in these cases of advanced neoplastic disease with several local and distant metastases that will start a systemic treatment with a not neg negligible impact on their physical and psychological quality of life, having a team able to face the disease and accurately follow the patient throughout the course of treatment is fundamental. In Italy, for example, thyroid cancer is prevalently managed by the endocrinologist. But during the years, we built a team of expert physicians and nurses in the management of this disease. Uh, so when we have an advanced disease, at now we know very well that to set up the best treatment, the tumor should be characterized, for example, by a molecular point of view. So the pathologists and molecular biologists became two key figures. But as I told you, before starting a systemic treatment, other therapeutic options should be considered. And for this reason, we always discuss the case in specific meetings with endocrine and non-endocrine surgeons, with radiotherapists, nuclear medicine specialists, otorino-laryngologists, oncologists, interventional radiologists. And all of them were involved in the decision-making process. Um, another important uh, point is that uh, uh, these patients uh, um, need to be followed not only before starting or when systemic therapy starts, but also during the treatment. The patient should be carefully re-evaluated at each clinical control. So we as endocrinologists, let's say, uh, take the lead of the patient's management. However, we often interact with other physicians. During the time, we learned the importance of having a team with experience also in the management of the adverse events. For example, we often interact with the thoracic surgeons, with uh, pneumologists, experts in the management, for example, of the effusions, pleural effusions, or with cardiologists, experts in the management of drug-induced hypertension or arrhythmias, and with the dermatologists for the onset of extensive skin rashes and so on. And at last but not least, I want to underline also the importance of having experienced and trained nurses to have a psychologist able to help these patients if needed, and also a physician or a biologist expert in nutrition, because often these patients experience a weight loss and a change in their task, and a nutritional support should be implemented. And finally, what is your key takeaway for listeners regarding treatment decision-making for patients with advanced thyroid cancer? Okay, thank you for this question because this is a very important point. And uh, I can share with you my experience about the treatment and the management of these patients with advanced thyroid cancer. So I think that the two key takeaway messages for the listener are very important. And the first is concerning the treatment decision-making and the management of these patients. And we cannot generalize because when we evaluated the patient, uh, although with an advanced disease, we should discuss the best therapeutic options in a multidisciplinary way, case by case. And we should be aware that not all advanced cases, as I told you before, require an immediate treatment and not all cases require a systemic treatment. So in case of advanced progressive disease, when patients require a systemic treatment, the comorbidities of the patients, the clinical condition of the patients should be re-evaluated and the choice of one or another drug should be carefully considered accordingly. And the last message is about the patient. And we, uh, in our experience, learned over time that uh, uh, we should talk with the patient and listen here or heard of about the treatment. And the more complicated the patient is, the more we have to talk and listen to him or her. 
Beyond the medical treatment, these patients need to be supported, not only from a medical point of view, but also from a psychological point of view, because this is a key point in helping these patients to better accept and face their disease. This brings us to the end of the episode. Dr. Antonio Mantroni, thank you for your time and expertise. And thank you to those listening to our discussion regarding treatment decision-making in the era of precision medicine. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app and recommend us to your colleagues. To collect your CME credits, visit oncology.knowledgeintopractice.com now. Here you can also find other episodes in the podcast series, as well as further free educational resources in oncology. You can find a link to this website in the episode notes, along with all the references discussed today. Thanks for listening to this episode. We look forward to welcoming you next time.